Welcome to Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. I'm your host, Matt Moore. Excited to be with you. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network and the co-host of Locked On Nuggets for here in Denver. Talking to you today with Ben Golliver from the Washington Post, the author of Bubble Ball, new book about the NBA bubble, which you should absolutely pre-order because it's going to be absolutely terrific. I got my copy today. I'm very excited. Ben and I are going to talk about Luka Doncic's insane game winner, the Nuggets in the bounce back performance after the loss of Jamal Murray, the Bulls continuing to slide, Steph Curry going wild, why didn't the Nets try versus the Sixers, all that and more on today's episode of Locked on NBA. But first, I want to tell you that today's episode of Locked on NBA is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the Locker Room app from the iOS app store and find one of our Locked On Rooms locker room, changing the way that we talk sports. All right, let's get to it with Ben Golliver from the Washington Post. All right, Ben Golliver from the Washington Post. New book, Bubble Ball, out soon. I got my copy today, but you, uh, the, you listeners will have to wait and get your copy. You can pre-order it wherever you buy your books. It looks awesome. I started... Flipping through it today. It looks great. I'm very excited to read it. Uh, ben, exciting night in the association. Some weird stuff happened in the association. Let's start with like the most notable thing, which is uh, Luka Doncic hit an off-balance, leaning, buzzer-beater, three-point floater to get the win over the Grizzlies in Memphis 114-113. That was nuts. I sense from your discussion, Matt, and maybe from some of the tweets that you put out there tonight that you were thinking that might have been a little bit more luck than skill. I'm interested in in fleshing that take out because I'm ready to defend Luca passionately. Well, like I just see this is the problem is that when Paul George, like in the in the Damian Lillard shot was like, that's a bad shot. I was like, well, yeah, that's what stars do is like they make bad shots like. I don't disagree. It was a bad shot. Like he didn't create a good look. He almost never got a good look in final situations. Right. Like that's the whole point is everybody's like really trying to defend you and all that kind of stuff. But like Lucas said after the game himself, like he said after the game that he was surprised it went in. <laughs> right. Like, but this is the question. This is actually an interesting question, right? Cause guys like Luca make these kinds of shots. That's what they do. Right. Like, if you ask me, does, does Luka Doncic have floater range from three-point? I would say yes. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I also don't think that, like, he – it's not, It's a question of, like, I'm sure he meant to make that shot, but I don't even know how to really describe that as, like, a shot. Like, the way he just, like, flung it up there, it was like this – it was a desperation flick of the ball toward the rim, and it went in. His The look on his face was sheer, like, can you believe I made that? No, he, he found an extra cookie, you know, and like he yeah. couldn't believe it uh, in the cookie jar. Well, here's here's my defense of Luca. First of all, we know he has just unbelievable feel. And to get himself into a position where he could even fling that up took some real work. He had to split two defenders. The pass was kind of on his back shoulder. Um, you know, I, I believe it was Dylan Brooks. Someone was giving chase. And then the the defender on the inbound was also kind of, you know, squeezing him. So he didn't really have a lot of room to operate. If he had tried to take a conventional shot, it's an even worse shot. So that's number one. And then I would also say he does have great touch, you know, like of all the guys to shoot a floater. I mean, you don't really want to shoot a three point floater basically ever, but of all the guys in that position to do it, I mean, there's a couple Steph Curry and a few others who you'd probably put in there over Luca, but 
Um, I wouldn't necessarily be upset if I was Rick Carlisle and that was the shot that we created because the ball is in my best player's hands and he's hitting a shot that I think he's probably, you know, flinging around the gym during practices all the time. So um, I'm with you. It wasn't a, a high percentage look. If you want to call it a bad shot, I'm okay with that. But I also don't think it was the worst thing in the world. And I was, you know, mildly surprised to see it go in. But at the same time, like Luca does crazy stuff. So I'm kind of with that crowd that says, well, that's just Luca magic. But like Luca himself admitted it though. Like <laughs> it's it's one thing if you're if it's like if Luca's like, no, like I knew, like I practiced that shot and like I feel like I can hit that. Like I actually have worked on that shot. But Luca instead was like, I know, right? Crazy. Who could have thought that would go in? Well, hey, look, I, I like a good myth building exercise as much yeah. as everybody. And uh, yeah. That's maybe you learn that from LeBron. Don't you think yeah. you learn that one from LeBron a little bit? Uh, every once in a while, LeBron will say stuff like that. Um, no, just a heartbreaking way to lose for Memphis, yeah. who've just been an awesome story this season, you know, continuing all the way, uh, you know, up up through um, this playoff push. And, you know, every game matters. We've heard the Mavericks say this week very loudly, both Luca. And Mark Cuban, what a tough spot they feel like they're in trying to pull themselves out of that play-in tournament. And obviously Memphis is living the exact same lifestyle, just, you know, a spot or two below them in the standing. So um, that shot, whether it was good or not, was really, really important for the Dallas Mavericks. Very notable uh, as far as I, as far as their attempt to get out of the playing game, uh, a tournament rather, is that this game clinched tiebreaker for the Mavericks. So Ooh. They now own the tiebreaker over the Grizzlies and the Spurs. Uh, and so they are in a prime spot to take the division. And if you're like, okay, but who cares about the division title? Well, here's why you care about the division title is if they win the division and the Blazers obviously won't, and the Lakers are unlikely to, if they wind up in a three-way tie and Denver as well, if they wind up in a three-way tie or a four-way tie with those teams, guess what? The division winner automatically wins all multi-team tiebreakers. So this was a considerably big win, uh, bigger than I think people would think it was on the surface. This was a big win. 100%. Bigger than I realized 10 seconds ago, but I should have known uh, not to step into your, your corner because nobody knows the tiebreaker rules and seating rules like Matt Moore. All right. Um, let's go to Chicago where again, again, <laughs> The Bulls face plant. Wendell Carter Jr. goes for 19 points, 12 rebounds, and four assists. Revenge. You know, 115-106 win over Chicago. I don't understand what's going on with the Bulls. I just, I do not get this at all. Um, Can I float a theory that probably would have been a little bit of like kind of a hot take maybe a month and a half ago when he, he was playing really well and getting all sorts of positive buzz? Is it possible that Zach Levine just got drastically overrated and he's not good enough to be the best player on a winning team? I mean, it's possible, but I mean, he was 30 points on 11 of 22 shooting, 6 of 12 from three-point range, and a plus nine tonight. So do you feel like he impacts the game to that I do. level? Though? I do. I, mean, I do. He does now. Really? I, think, I, th I think genuinely he didn't in years prior. I think this year he does. I think this year he impacts the game more than he ever has before, but... I have never been afraid of these Chicago Bulls in any situation, even when they were kind of, you know, uh, competing for one of those last playoff spots. Um, you know, to me, they're going to be absolute first round roadkill if they do actually make it at this point, if they keep sliding, it's getting, you know, uglier and uglier for what their chances are going to be. And I think it's, he's a problematic player to build around because his flaws, uh, you know, require you finding other players who can kind of cover them up. And Chicago is just not in a position to really have a lot of those guys. 
And both he and, and Vucevic have some similar skills and strengths, but also some really similar weaknesses. And the early returns to me, like these guys get their numbers, but it's always in losses. I'm not sure this is a coincidence, Matt. Yeah, but again, I want to go back to this, though. They outscored the, the Magic by nine tonight with Levine on the floor. Like, they won those minutes. They lost by 23 points when Tomas Sadaransky was on the court. If you dig into this stuff, because I was big on the Bulls before the trade, and after the trade, I was even bigger on them. One of the, the concerning numbers was that the basically the defensive rating for the Bulls whenever Patrick Williams is on the floor is terrible. Now, I think Patrick Williams is going to be great. Like, he shows a lot of skills. I think he's athletic. I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be a a hell of an NBA player. I also think that right now he's too young and being asked to do too much. Like he has to be the key wing defender on this team and he can't do it. Like that to me is like a lot of it. Like he was a minus one tonight. A lot of his on off splits with the starters are really bad. And the same was true of Wendell Carter jr. And the same was true of Kobe white, who was a minus 14 tonight tonight too. Like I think everyone kind of points the blame at Levine and to a degree like Vucevic now, when in reality, the problem has been these supporting players. They don't have enough size and athletes on the wing in order. Like you're right that you have to build around Levine in terms of like, you have to make up for his weaknesses, but you have to do that with the rest of the stars too. You have to do that with Luka Doncic. You have to do that with, with Harden. You have to do that with these other guys. Levine's not that level, but it's not, I don't think it's this huge knock to say that like, yeah, you need to have athletes who can defend around, around Zach Levine, especially when he's, if he's going to give you 30 points on 50% shooting and hit six threes with seven assists and they outscore their opponent. I, I can't blame Levine for that problem. No, I hear you on that. And look, I mean, they definitely don't have enough talent around him to cover up those flaws and it could be a multi-year process for them to get there. I'm just like not convinced that even if they did have those guys, he's he's good enough of a playmaker for his teammates and that, you know, his scoring number is at least slightly empty where I'm coming away from it, just really never seeing the ceiling with this particular group. I think it's probably uglier now um, uh, than it, it, you know, it looks uglier now than it is in reality because they're trying to adjust a lot of things in a very short window. And, um, you know, they're, they're young and experienced and a lot of these guys just aren't really that good. And, and this roster that was inherited by our tourists was kind of a mess and he's in the early stages of retooling it. But, um, I just thought he got way too much hype, um, earlier in this season. And, you know, when I think all-star level guy, I think somebody who can carry a winning team almost regardless of who's around him. And I just don't think that's Zach Levine. Let's go to. Oklahoma City, where Steph Curry did it again. 42 points on 14 of 20 shooting. 11 of 16 from three. Good Lord. Six boards, eight assists, a plus 31 for Steph in a romp for the Warriors, uh, who are starting to get a little, little hot. They've been hot and cold all year. I still don't know what to make of them. I have to be honest with you. I, uh, I, I did a league pass broadcast for their Warriors Raptors game without Steph Curry. And since that game, I have a hard time taking <laughs> anyone on golden state seriously. That isn't Steph. Um, but look, Steph, oh, they lost that one by like 53 or something, right? Yeah. They were down by 60 at one point. We were actually taking bets on it. You won't get to 40, right? It got to 40. It won't get to 50, right? It got to 50. It won't get to 60. It got to 60. Like just an absolutely insane game, but they've been pretty good since then. They've won three in a row. Uh, they are one game under 500. They are now just four back of the Mavericks and just two back of the, of the Grizzlies for the eight spot. And uh, one of those spots in the got to lose two uh, spots in the play in tournament getting a little bit hot. Uh, what are your thoughts on where Steph's at right now? 
Well, I don't think it's a coincidence that Steph is going crazy um, when James Wiseman Wiseman. is out injured. Um, I think you go back and you look at the the Williams point that you were making earlier about just kind of the burden that they were putting on him as a rookie. Um, And rookies tend to struggle and tend to impact the lineups in negative ways, even if they're getting numbers or not getting numbers. Usually, uh, you know, there's just mistakes that kind of go with that experience. That was the case with Wiseman. I was totally in favor of playing Wiseman big minutes, starting him and, and using this season to develop him. But it was clearly coming at the expense of, uh, you know, lineups that had Curry in them all season long. The on-offs with Wiseman in that group was just very, very clear. So you take out the weakest link of the lineup. And in the short term, it's absolutely going to be addition by subtraction. And I think it, it puts, you know, the ball in Curry's hands more often. It gives him the opportunity to, to score and to shoot even more which has been a common complaint from Warriors fans kind of wanting that. And I think that these guys are sneaky dangerous. And, you know, when we're looking at this play-in tournament, I think the Warriors' role in it is really big. First of all, I think they're going to make it now because they don't have to have this kind of Wiseman anchor dragging them back. Second of all, Curry's going to be the biggest star in the West play-in round. I think at this point, given that the Lakers have stabilized well enough in the absence of their stars, that they're not going to be in that mix. So what kind of a rating do the Warriors draw in that type of game where, you know, it's winner go home. Steph's whole season is on the line. Steph's been red hot kind of closing this season. I think that's really important for this entire concept because look, if, if people don't tune in to watch these games, what was the whole point of doing it other than trying to maybe use it as an anti-tank mechanism? I mean, the idea was to generate a lot of interest and try to get people excited. And so I think I circle the Warriors in that play in tournament and say, well, you know, there needs to be like three or four million people watching that game if, if Steph's whole season is on the line. And I would hope there would be because it's a, a unique situation. We really haven't seen it over the course of a full regular season before. Um, the bubble was its own environment. And there was a lot of interest in the chase uh, to the play-in, but maybe not quite as much interest in the play-in game itself. And so I think it's a, a pretty interesting test. And from the NBA's perspective, you've got to be really happy that it if it saves the Warriors from potentially just being a lottery team and at least having a shot at it, that's like really good for the bottom line. So I think it's a pretty fascinating story that we've got to track here over the next month. Absolutely. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the, what should have been an absolutely Titanic battle. And instead wound up being a more competitive game than it should have been. And kind of a disappointing night that says something about the lead that we have to discuss between the Sixers and the Nets. We'll talk about that when we come back on locked on NBA. Before we go to break, today's show is brought to you by RockAuto.com chain stores have different prices for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers when it comes to auto parts. But rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody and they're reliably low. rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like the airlines do. rockauto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or account login. They're a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers and write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. Get more of the sports news you need in less time with the Locked On Today podcast. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. Matt Moore back with you on Locked On NBA, joined by the Washington Post, Ben Golliver the author of Bubble Ball, which you can find at stores everywhere. And Ben, um, we should have on Wednesday night gotten a Titanic battle. It should have been an incredible clash. The Sixers and the Nets with tiebreaker advantage on the line, one versus two in the Eastern Conference. This should have been 
a huge game, but instead, because the league rescheduled the Nets Wolves game, and the Nets chose to try and win that game, they then rested everybody versus the Sixers. They rested uh, Kevin Durant and Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge. Kyrie Irving did play. James Harden was out with the injury, but Durant could have played and uh, they rested him, Blake and LaMarcus Aldridge. So we don't get to see even two thirds of the big three versus the Sixers. A lot of conversation about this. Um, I think it's notable for people to, to really keep in mind that you say like, well, they're on the back to back. Yeah, but the Nets and the Nets are not alone in this. Every team does this. They chose the easier game to win to play their guys in, which was the Wolves game, and then rested their starters versus the tougher game where they're might more likely to lose. If the Sixers game is a coin flip and the Wolves game, if you play your starters, is 80%, they took that win and decided to rest guys today. And it's just really disappointing that you have like this opportunity for what should be a really big matchup, even without Harden. Um, now, look, the Nets hung in this game. The, the Nets rallied big time. They got very good performances. Kyrie with 37 on 13 of 22 shooting. Uh, they got 17 points from Landry Shamit uh, and 15 from Jeff Green, while Joel Embiid did the thing with 39 points on 13 of 29 shooting. Um, Tobias Harris goes for 26 on 11 to 17. But do you think it's a shame that we're just at a point where we the teams will not choose to get up for these types of games in the regular season? Well, for sure. I mean, there's a lot of layers to it. I mean, you and I are both old enough to remember where when Greg Popovich used to get in big trouble for this exact practice from David Stern, right? And, and the fines were big and the edicts came down and, you know, you've got to play your guys in the national televised games. And for Brooklyn, it's like only the second most egregious example of that this week. Remember Saturday when basically everybody was out and they were playing the Lakers and uh, that game was, you know, completely pointless for ABC to televise the big, you know, buyout matchup between Andre Drummond and LaMarcus Aldridge that absolutely nobody tuned in for. It's been a tough spot. Look, this whole season is a shame. And, and frankly, I don't really blame the Nets for how they're handling this. When you're looking at the amount of injuries going on all around the league, I think it's really hard to justify like running these guys out here for these games where. The payoff, the risk and the reward calculus is just off, given how many games they're playing in a short amount of time. There's been a lot of grumbling from executives, uh, you know, behind the scenes about, well, we're three quarters of the way into the season. We still got a month to go before the playoffs. We want to make sure our guys are healthy and they're just being asked to play too many games. And, uh, you know, and, and people want to rest a lot. You know, you could argue the best thing to happen to the Lakers this season was for both Anthony Davis and LeBron to get injured so that they had a month off to rest because the four teams now who were in the final four of the bubble last year and had the shortest off seasons are all well uh, below where we thought they would be or dealing with major injuries. That's the Lakers with both their stars out Denver. Now with Jamal Murray, Boston has been, uh, you know, behind the eight ball all season long. One of the bigger disappointments earlier this season and Miami is really struggling to get its stuff together after having a, a really tough battle with COVID as well this season. I don't think it's a coincidence that all four of those teams are kind of finding themselves up a creek. So you can make a strong case. It's smarter, big picture to, you know, take care of your guys' minutes and take care of their, their game availabilities and, and manage that stuff carefully. But of course, that comes with the short-term cost, which is what you're describing, where we've got an awful lot of nationally televised games that are questionably, you know, worth watching. And in this case, it was actually fun. Embiid was fantastic. Uh, he stepped up to the moment. 
It did feel like Brooklyn was rope-a-doping him a little bit, letting him feel comfortable with you know going against half their roster, and we'll see how that plays out down the road. My only other take from this game, Matt, if I was uh, the Sixers fans, I would not have been booing KD like that. I would not have been poking that bear. If they meet up in the playoffs, I promise you, Matt, you can jot this down. KD will have 40 in Philadelphia in a playoff game if those two teams meet up in the playoffs. They will regret the booing. I promise it. All right. I'm booking that. I'm booking that right now. I'm going to go ahead and, and put you down for that, that, that KD will go off for 40. So I think my thing is that there's, you know, this wasn't even supposed to be a back-to-back, right? Like if it wasn't for the, you know, much bigger and more important circumstances of what occurred on Monday, then this doesn't wind up being a back-to-back game, right? So like, it's fine. I think we do have an issue that there's no incentive for them to win these games. Like I started figuring this out, I don't know, six, seven years ago, like when you and I were working at CBS, I started figuring it out. Like that was way back in the day, 10 years ago, but like, basically you can just build your playoff resume by never trying versus any of the top teams and just targeting all the other games, just beat the teams that are worse than you. Like if you, if you just destroy all the Timberwolves, then you'll be easily be able to make the playoffs. And then you can worry about your playoff matchups then. But problem is like the regular season is a product. Like the NBA presents it as a product and like exciting showdowns every night. And when these star players and these top teams don't invest anything in those matchups, it's tactically smart it's also, I think a really big letdown. Like this is one of the reasons I'm in favor of reshaping the schedule, not only by reducing the number of games, but I'm very much in favor of reducing the number of games by getting rid of some of the non-conference games and increasing the division and conference games that we have, like have those teams play more because those games matter more. Like this game would have mattered quite a bit because whoever gets the one seed is going to get, you know, the winner of Charlotte. Atlanta, Miami, or whoever else comes out of, of that, of that sequence. If somebody else jumps up, like the Knicks, maybe the Celtics, right. Versus well, and, and the biggest part is, you know, you get to avoid the other two good teams in the yeah. second round, right? That's so Brooklyn funding this and potentially risking a second round matchup with Milwaukee or Philly is no small, uh, no small concession. Right. And it makes sense because the Nets are basically like, we're not scared of anybody. We just want to be healthy for the playoffs. And they've also made it clear, like, the, the Nets stars have, have all kind of hinted that like basketball is secondary, like championship is secondary and making art or living life or whatever. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Whatever, whatever, whatever beautiful tapestry that they're creating is more important than a championship, which that's their choice. They get to make that call. Um, but it is kind of interesting in that the Sixers are, are really like this, this win does increase the chances that the Sixers will wind up in the one seed we talked about that play in game in the first segment. Like this is part of it too, with this season and how truncated it is. Like, I wonder in a normal season, if we'd be seeing this kind of angst about the seventh seed from the Mavericks. Cause like Luca's argument is basically I've gone through all of this, this, this season with all of this travel and all of these games and all of these, this wear and tear and stress. I've made it through all of that. And my reward is that if I lose two games in a row, I'm out. That that's what happens to me, which 
on one hand, I understand. And on the other hand, I'm like, well, one, if you win more games, you don't have to worry about that. And then two, if you're the seven seed, the odds are pretty strong. You're not getting out of the first round anyway. So you'd only be playing in like four to five games, friend. So I don't know what you're really complaining about here in terms of the differential, but um, it does seem like, I guess here's my thing. Who is happy with the current NBA season structure? Well, I would say for this particular season, I'm not sure anyone's happy. I mean, I think if we actually just had to like objectively grade this season, they were dealt a horrible hand with having to make up multiple months, trying to get it back on track, still fulfill the local television uh, contracts and everything else. But on a night to night quality of play standpoint, I would give this season a D. It doesn't bring me any joy to do that, but we've definitely seen better regular seasons. And, you know, I actually am pretty open to the Mavericks complaints in part because they pretty much lost a month of the season to guys in and out of their lineups. I think they were hit almost harder than anyone besides maybe Miami and Boston, a couple others, Washington, of course, um, you know, with the COVID protocol stuff earlier in the season. So they've just been digging out all year long and rather than be able to catch their breath because they have a little bit of a cushion over that nine seed, they feel like they have to chase that six seed to increase their competitive advantage. And I understand that why that would be frustrating. And I even said it before the season, like having an entire, you know, 72 game campaign come down to these one or done games. It sounds really cool and thrilling and exciting in theory, but in practice, it really is like devaluing a lot of work that these teams do. So I didn't treat the Mavericks as whiners as much as I know a lot of people did. Um, so, uh, you know, I kind of am with them. And I, when I look forward to next year, when they're trying to figure out what does the first post-pandemic year look like or a more normal year look like. Personally, I hope the play-in thing is just a one-and-done thing for this year and that they don't bring it back because um, I I think it's just extraneous. It doesn't really add a ton. I'm skeptical it's going to generate a huge amount of interest. Who really cares about Indiana versus Chicago? You know, if that's like the 9-10, I don't think anybody's going to watch that. And it winds up kind of being much ado about nothing. So I don't know. Do you feel the same or differently? I feel very differently. I'm hyped for it. Um, putting NBA players in a do or die environment where it's not a game seven and everyone's exhausted and you've um, used all of your tactical matchup advantages and adjustments. Like that's the thing about game sevens is they're often ugly, terrible games because you've used everything in the bag and it just winds up being the slug fest. Like how many ugly game sevens have we watched, but it's still high drama. So now you have that high drama and you have untested, unproven teams. A lot of these times in these kind of environments, I hear you on Indiana, Chicago, but let me counter with this. Let's say the, the, the bears, the, the bulls managed to get it together just a little bit. And it's bulls, Knicks, and you're in Madison square garden with the history of the bulls and the Knicks. And certainly Zach Levine is not Michael Jordan and Julius Randall is not Patrick Ewing. But like that would be a really cool environment with fans back in the arena in Madison Square Garden in a play-in game for a playoff spot. I like that very much. I think the same is true in the Western Conference. Like if you get Luka Doncic or Damian Lillard versus Steph Curry in a one-off play-in environment, I think that that's fantastic. I think that's going to be great. Um, also, as somebody that writes for the Action Network, I got to tell you, it's great for betters. Like this is a great environment to bet teams, right? Versus a series where it's hard to get value there's going to be a lot of interest in betting those games. And so all of these things, I think it's going to be, I I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I also do think that it's solved one of the NBA's biggest issues, which is whether teams are like, here's the thing. No team is actively saying we don't want this. 
so far, right? Like we haven't seen a team like the, the, the bulls may, it may seem like given how they're losing, but the bulls are trying to win. They're just really bad right now. Um, the Pacers are struggling, but overall, like they've stabilized They're five and five in their last 10, they're hanging in there. Like they want, they want to make the playoffs. Um, in the Western Conference, the Spurs want to make the make the playoffs in the 10th spot. Everybody wants to get in. And I think that that matters because if you were, you know, if you're more games out, like the Bulls are at 32 losses, they're five back with a month to play. They would probably be like, all right, we need to start tanking. And then you just have more teams trying to tank their way out. Keeping more teams, I think, invested in trying to win, it all goes towards a greater package of trying to make these games mean something and like, that's really the biggest challenge is like, we've got to rewire the league to where these regular season games mean a little bit more because right now the teams are simply treating them as, as very little in, in terms of meaning night to night. Well, I think that is the biggest, uh, the biggest positive of this setup is that you had fewer teams just go crazy sell off at the trade deadline. I mean, obviously Orlando did, um, you know, Oklahoma city kind of headed straight into the tank Mo Houston was, you know, willing to part with assets. So there was a few teams that were already you know, pretty far on the periphery, but you did have some bad teams who weren't terrible, uh, Chicago, Washington, who did exactly what you said, which is, okay, well, we're going to keep going for it because at least we have an incentive and something to play for. Chicago even flipped it around and said, hey, we're going to be buyers and try to improve our position this year and next year and, you know, try to make things more interesting. So I do think that can, you know, that's helpful to the entire league when you have more teams competing. And in a typical year, I think it would make these stretch run games more palatable because they're more competitive and teams are going for it. I just see a lot of tired, exhausted teams out there that aren't very good. I just, you know, you asked me about the Chicago bulls to me, in my mind, they're not a playoff team, right? Like if they weren't in the playoffs, I would not miss them whatsoever. Um, now that's a little bit different with golden state uh, because you have the Curry factor, but night in night out, their baseline hasn't been good enough for them to earn a playoff spot in a normal year. And so if they were on the outside looking in, in a typical season, I really wouldn't be shedding a lot of tears about it. I'm hopeful that we do get some real excitement around the Curry phenomenon. And I think that's a little bit unique, but um, I think it's a tough sell down the stretch of the season to be like, can the Washington Wizards make the 10 seed, you know, to come back and watch tomorrow night to see if they can do it. Um, that, that seems like a stretch to me a little bit. Let's take a break. And when we come back, uh, we'll talk about the, the worst story this week in the NBA, I think, in terms of on-court stuff, and that's the injury to Jamal Murray and what it means after the Nuggets got a big win in their first game uh, after the Murray injury. We'll talk about that when we come back on Locked on NBA. Today's show is also brought to you by Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. The NBA is in full swing. You've got MLB, you've got NHL, all that and more. Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real time updated odds and props, and almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with promo code LOCKEDON, L O C K E D O N. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Get more analysis on the top prospects available in this year's NBA draft with the Locked On NBA Draft podcast. Scouting reports, draft rumors, mock drafts, and full coverage of March Madness four days a week from credentialed draft experts. Follow the Locked On NBA Draft podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. Ben Gulliver of the Washington Post, author of Bubble Ball. The Denver Nuggets, in their first game after losing Jamal Murray in 
crushing fashion, essentially ending their championship hopes Though they will obviously play the card of nobody believes in us. Went out tonight versus the Miami Heat in Denver and absolutely worked them 123, 106 in really dominant fashion. Uh, they play great defense. They play great offense. Jokic with another triple double 17, 10 and 11 uh, didn't have to play that many minutes as they took care of business late and they were able to get a rest. Michael Porter Jr. with 25 points on 10 of 14 shooting and 50% from three. Again, this is uh, a team that I think people kind of overlook the fact that they're still got a lot of talent. I think that's well said. I mean, I don't want to write them off at all just because of that injury. I do think it significantly lowers their title chances and it significantly lowers their final chances. But they're still, I mean, they were kind of the team that nobody wanted to play. And I don't, I think it would be a mistake to rush the other way and say, oh, now that's the team that everybody wants to play. Nobody wants to deal with playoff joker, nor should they. And especially if, you know, he's been in this mode this year where it's like, hey, I've got to do a little bit more myself offensively. And I think he's had a nicer, uh, a better feel for when it's time to exert himself. And there's going to be playoff moments where that comes uh, more often and, and more regularly because Murray's not out there. And he's awesome when he does that. I mean, it's really, really fun to watch, and it's really effective. He's an amazing shooter, an amazing shot creator, and and all the focus usually is on his passing ability. That's always going to be there, Uh, but he could step up and do it himself too. So um, they're going to be a problem for whoever they face in the first round. You know, I think if you're the Lakers, and you're looking at that possible 4-5, you'd much rather play Denver without Murray, because now you can sell out defensively on Jokic and you're doubling and you're trapping and you do have Anthony Davis to kind of mess with him. And that's probably the best matchup or or one of the best matchups for Jokic in the league of of being able to use him both on the ball and as a help defender. Um, So you're, you're, you're feeling good about that four or five matchup if you're the Lakers, but you would way, way, way prefer Denver to somehow slip to six so you can get Portland in the four or five. And that's just a no brainer. And now you're cakewalking through the Blazers. So I think that's kind of the Lakers standpoint. It's a good way to look at like how big of a threat is Denver still. I would consider taking Denver still over a team like Phoenix. If they were to match up in the first round, that's unlikely to happen. Um, But uh, you know, Denver's still threat and there's no doubt. And it would be, you know, kind of a shame for them, given how well they were playing after the All-Star break, if this winds up being like Denver versus the Lakers in the first round and the Lakers have AD and and LeBron back, because I don't think that would be representative at all if Denver were to lose that series of how good they were this year. And it's a very realistic possibility. So you could even make a case if you're the Nuggets, should you be trying to play the seeding game a little bit, Matt, try to slip to six and and take your, your shot at the Clippers? What do you think? Yeah, I think it's an interesting idea. Um, I think that they're probably, I, I don't think that they'll probably do what they've done in years past, which is try and manipulate the standings. I think they'll probably let the chips fall where they may. Like part of it, this is see how close you are to the late to the Lakers. Like, find out. Okay. See how see how you do with Jokic and Porter and Gordon. See how that looks. And you can evaluate what you need to do in the offseason to make other adjustments when Murray gets back. Like, I think that's part of it. Um I think, well, can I make the case the other way? I mean, if yeah. you get on the other side of the bracket and you're six and you get the Clippers in the first round, um, Jokic is the best player in that series, in my opinion. Full respect due to Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. If I had to draft all the players in that series, I'm taking Jokic first, right? Yeah. If you did get through the Clippers, now you're looking at the Suns. I kind of like them like the Suns, you know? And so now potentially you're back in the Western Conference Finals. And, you know, that's a a realistic pathway. If you have to deal with the Lakers and then potentially the Jazz, if you were to somehow win, 
I think that's just tougher. I think there's a real incentive to try to get to six. Yeah. I mean, I could see that happening. I also think it's honestly part of this is I think it's going to be tough to fall to six because of <laughs> I know because Portland can't win a game. <laughs> yeah. Port, Port, Portland can't beat anybody good. And that's getting to be a little bit of an issue. It is kind of interesting though, in terms of uh, asking the question, because you know, I've covered the league long enough of how teams respond when a guy gets injured. Like I wasn't surprised that they won this game tonight. And I don't think it was like a super emotional win for them either. I think it was a relief of like, all right, let's get back to winning. Like, all right, Jamal's out. That's how it is. After the game, um, PJ Dozier said that Murray came in the locker room and just like everyone kind of turned and looked at him and he said, next man up. And that's what they always say in sports. And especially on the Nuggets, that's been their ethos under Michael Malone is like no excuses. And so um, they'll continue to compete. I think that there's going to be a short term bump. The only problem I think is in a playoff environment with Murray, you just, you need guys to hit really tough shots. Like Luka Doncic hit tonight by per chance. Um, you need guys to be able to hit those kind of shots. And without Murray, you have Jokic, you can hit some in the post and fadeaways and the Sambor shuffle and stuff like that. But they're going to really struggle versus like, that's the problem with facing the Clippers is they got guys that can really make those shots tough on you. And it's just asking a lot of Michael Porter Jr. to pick that up. But at the same time, um, I do think that Denver will enjoy to a certain degree. They'll wish they had Murray, but they will enjoy the fact that like, They've got nothing to lose now. Like, there's no pressure. No pressure. No pressure whatsoever. Absolutely. And look, I mean, your point on next man up, that's what they did in the bubble last year, too. I mean, Gary Harris missed a good chunk of that first round series, and his return definitely helped, but also Will Barton as well. And, you know, they were playing shorthanded and they made it to the Western Conference Finals. So there should be a, a confidence factor there um, that they can do it again. And they, they go, you know, reasonably deep. Um, you know, I don't love the stand-in options for Murray positionally, you know, that's tough. So exactly how would you fill his minutes if you were Malone? Like what are you kind of tinkering or, or how are you distributing those minutes? I think it's matchup based in the playoffs. I think, you know, Monte Morris is going to start right now. Um, PJ Dozier had a really good night. I'm very high on PJ Dozier. I'm, I'm super high on PJ Dozier as an NBA player. I liked him last year. And when talking to people in the front office, uh, they said that they had a lot of confidence in what that he could step up. Like I thought maybe he might be a casualty of like reconfiguring the team. And they said, no, we actually think that he's going to be part of our future. And then tonight, six to 10 from the field, 15 points, a plus 20, great defense, uh, had three steals. The second half, he was great defensively. Uh, I think having his athleticism, because part of what Dozier is, he can shoot a little bit. He can get to the rim a little bit. He's really good at passing. He's a point guard that's playing the small forward right now, you can slot him in and play a lot of, of bigger lineups. Like you can run Dozier, Barton, MPJ, Gordon, Jokic. And that break gives you size and athleticism. If you need it, if you want to go smaller, you can go Monte Morris. I, there's a big debate in Denver about whether or not Faku Campazo can play in the playoffs. I think that's still kind of up for grabs. The biggest thing with them is um, it's becoming more and more apparent that maybe Paul Millsap can't be part of the rotation. And that's getting to be, kind of an awkward discussion given uh, Millsap standing in the league, but they have some front no, court how, issues. That's but. how I felt in, in, in uh, last year's Western conference finals. I mean, look, when really push comes to shove, I don't think you can, you know, Millsap's tough to keep on the court. Compazzo makes me a little bit nervous. What do you think about this Austin rivers thing? His decision was interesting because of the whole bucks rumor. And then mm-hmm. do you think he's going to give them, I mean, it, it almost feels like if you sign with Denver, you're doing that because you feel like you're going to get a shot at another contract next year. Don't you think? I mean, yeah, I mean, yes. 
Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think he's got – I think if anything, he'll build his resume. I think he'll get minutes because they need guys with size. They need guards with size that can shoot. And having that experience, I think, is a big deal. Like, Rivers has been in big playoff games for all the foibles. Like, he's been a, he's been in big games for the Rockets. He was in big games for the Clippers. So, um, I think he's exactly the kind of guard that they're looking for. If he works out and he fits, great. If he doesn't, then, you know, they have other guys that they can go to. But I don't think Denver is done by any means. I'll put it this way. Denver may not win the title, but Denver's going to make it rough on anyone that they run into. Yeah, for sure. And I think your, your pressure point is right on, and that absolutely is going to be most pronounced if they do get the Lakers, which seems like the most likely scenario, right? I mean, imagine everybody going into that series. Oh, what a shame. No Murray. They're not the same. You know, Lakers took care of business in five last year. And I think that was a little bit misleading in, in terms of how close and competitive that series was at times. Um, you know, of course, Anthony Davis is a you know, game winner, had a, a lot to say in terms of how quick that series ended. But uh, all the pressure would be on the Lakers in that scenario. And, uh, you know, I think that's that's healthy for a team like Denver, especially, uh, you know, given some of the buzz that was building. You could definitely argue like you'd rather have everyone counting you out than everyone hyping you up as like the biggest threat in the Western conference that nobody wants to play because, you know, sometimes that uh, just changes perception of, of, you know, where you end up at the same time. I mean, if, if you, if it does come down to four or five Denver Lakers, I think I probably Lakers in, in 5.5, you know, yeah. something like that. What do you That's think? Right. Yeah. I would, yeah. I probably take the, I would, you know, the, the nuggets over under for wins is probably going to be a game and a half. And that one's going to be tough. I'd probably mark it as a stay away, but anybody else I think Denver can, can hang with one last note for you before we go here on lockdown NBA, Ben, uh, in the Eastern conference, the top eight teams are all 500 or better. Hey, congratulations. And in the Western conference, uh, the top eight teams are all above 500. Uh, the nine and 10 seeds in both conferences are both below 500. The 10th seed in the West is one game under 500. And the 10th seed in the East is 10 games under 500. <laughs> so we know where the shelf is, is what you're saying. Yeah, we know where that is. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining me, Ben, on Lockdown NBA. David will be back next week. Make sure to pre-order Bubble Ball from Ben, an insider's look at the NBA bubble from last season and all that happened there. Ben Golliver from the Washington Post. Thanks so much. Yeah, and for you, be sure to check the last page, Matt, because you're going to find your name there in the, the thank you section. So, uh, you know, I, <gasps> I'm yeah, going to cry. You, know, you and I go back years and years. And so I just want to say uh, gracias right here at the end. And uh, thanks for the conversation today, too. I'm going to get off this call now because I'm going to get emotional. Thanks for joining us on Lockdown <laughs> NBA. We'll be back tomorrow.